0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Active Churches podcast. We hope you are inspired by today's message from one of our teaching pastors here at Active Churches. We are online and we are also in person, so we'd love to have you gather with us 9 a.m. and 1045 here at our Ukaipa location or online on YouTube or Facebook. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's dive into our message.
1: Well, good morning and welcome to Active Church at Home. And I'm so excited to be able to be with you from wherever you're watching from today and just love the power of technology and how we can be together and engage and do those things um, via technology and all the power that it brings. So if you're watching right now, just love for you to just drop a line in the chat. You've probably already been engaging, but love you being here. We're in this series, wrapping it up today, called Different from last time and we've been talking about decision making and how every decision that you make is part of writing your story and as we as we conclude this series today we want to be talking specifically around the why and the motivation for the decisions that we make So there's a common methodology that I don't think I really realized until a few weeks ago that takes place in the medical field that just seems crazy to normal people like you and I. Uh, Many times someone will come into the hospital and perhaps they're not feeling well and so they put them on all the monitors and their heart rate, they discover, is out of control. And so the the doctors and the nurses, they're going to take some initial steps. But here's what I read. If the heart rate continues to accelerate, let's say, say, like 240 beats or higher, eventually they make the decision, these medical professionals, to actually stop the patient's heart. That's right. They grab the defibrillator, that thing we all want to do, right? Like clear, bam. And they shock the heart actually to death, and then they restart it. It's the only thing they can do in the midst of the crisis to reset the temple and the pace to get the heart back on track. And it's really true during this season that we need the same thing. That's what this series has really been about. We need, we need to do a deep reset of our hearts so they beat on the same pace as Jesus does. Now, listen, sometimes we overlook the fact that the, the greatest theology, the loudest message of our faith is this, that change is not only possible, but it is actually expected if God is in the middle of it. That's something that we in our church community believe is actually Possible That whatever has previously been, whatever choices we have previously made, that things can actually be different than last time. That transformation is actually possible. That something new can spring up in our souls. That it's not just the turning over of a new year that gives us that hope, but it's the faithfulness of our God. But it is the decisions that we make and the comfort we are often forced to reject that will ultimately bring the change to our hearts and to our lives that we desperately need. And that's actually how Jesus started his entire public ministry. Here's here's some of the first words that we read about Jesus. It says this, that after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee. And he was proclaiming the good news of God. And he said this He said, The time has come. It's time. And then he said, The kingdom of God has come near. So, because of that, repent and believe the good news. Now, listen, I get it. When we see this word repent, we think of the guy out on the street, right? You've seen him. Maybe you've been that guy yelling at everyone to repent. Or they're going to go to hell immediately. It's frankly not very inviting. But actually, this word simply means to change the direction of your life, to change where you are headed, because you are invited to be part of this new kingdom that God is introducing. Repentance equals Change. It means just turn around. Stop heading in that direction you were going. And, and Jesus says, the kingdom of God is here. Repent. And finally, he says, believe the good news. Jesus says, not only do I want you to repent, not only do I want you to change the direction of your life, I want you to believe. Now, believe is a Greek word, and it basically at its core means to entrust your life. It's, it's Jesus appealing to us to fully surrender and submit our lives to the good news of this new kingdom. But this is where we need to appropriately pause just for a moment and, and just sit here for a moment or two around this idea of good news. Take a look at this quote it says the following disciples have a distinct profile. Disciples, that's you and I, followers of Christ, those who are citizens of this kingdom. We have a unique and distinct profile over and against the world. Disciples admit that they are poor in spirit. They are peacemakers. They are merciful. These are are beatitudes. And they communicate their difference from the world and shine as witnesses in a dark world. Now listen, unfortunately, We've gotten this wrong way too often when it comes to, number one, what actually makes us different, and number two, what's, what shines about us? And this, this getting it wrong has been a major blow to the church's ability to reach and impact our world with this good news that Jesus was talking about. It's influenced the church's ability to actually be the kingdom, It has unfortunately not been as good, this news, as it should have been. We have way too often communicated something other than the good news Jesus was talking about. I've recently been doing a bunch of reading about a company you may have heard of called Netflix and the culture of Netflix. I'm this weird person who doesn't doesn't want to just enjoy the benefits of an organization or company, just binge watch their shows. But there's something in me that actually has to understand what makes it tick. And in my reading, I learned one of their key cultural components is something called sunshining. It comes from this idea. They say at Netflix, if something wins, we celebrate it. But if it fails, we sunshine it. So as followers of Christ, as the church, you might say, if we're going to shine, then we first may need to sunshine some of the ways we've been missing it. And as individuals, I would challenge you that we need to be able to do the same. So I'm going to put myself out there first. I'm going to go first. Back 20, 30 years ago, as a young pastor, I was very passionate about seeing life change happen in teenagers, in the teenagers that I was directly connected with and pastoring was responsible for. I was... I was genuinely committed to reaching them in their life. And I strongly encouraged them to bring their friends and expose them to our church community. And they did. However, my approach as this young, enthusiastic leader was very well-meaning and actually pretty effective. But in hindsight, if I were to sunshine it, it was way off base where they just needed to hear about the good news where they just needed to hear about Jesus, I would hit them with this, like how they shouldn't party, they shouldn't have sex, they shouldn't do this or do that. And I was introducing them to Jesus through a lens that now and I wish was more about seeing Jesus, hearing the good news of Jesus loud and clear than just merely being a moral person. Many of you know what I'm talking about. Perhaps when you were introduced to Jesus, the way you were told to get to know him, was more reflective of a a task list than a real relationship. There were boxes to check around your behaviors and your words and your finances, your sexuality, even your friendships that would allow you to be deemed okay, but only if you nailed the list. There's actually a word for that. It's called moralism. And moralism promotes a path towards Jesus that begins and ends with our efforts and our achievements. Listen, listen, This kind of thinking has done so much damage to the witness of the church and has become an unnecessary barrier for many to come to Christ. Moralism is any teaching that would say this. In order for you to be loved by God, in order for you to be accepted by God, here are the behaviors you must conform to to be one of the good guys. It's a checklist mentality. It would say, if you behave this way, God will then... Bless you in this way. That's moralism. God hates that. It's stupid. It's not the good news. And so if you have a background where your understanding of Christianity and faith is that you have to behave a specific way in order to be loved and accepted by God, and maybe even that's raised up in you some hostility towards God as you keep falling short of that list, I'm telling you, you have not heard the good news. And if your current version of Christianity doesn't feel like good news, perhaps you're holding on to a version that doesn't reflect the kingdom that Jesus was and is establishing and doesn't reflect the lens in which he wants you to make decisions and to live your life, to be different than last time, to make it the new you in a a new year that we're part of. But listen, in fact, we are not moralist, but we do believe In morality, that's important for you to note because faith in Christ, Christianity definitely has a moral component that's linked to God's design for us. We see it throughout the Bible. David understood there's a moral aspect to our our design and it drives our decision. He said in Psalm 16, you have made known to me the path, the way of life. In other words, there's a preferred path that God has placed in front of us with boundaries alongside that will allow us to to flourish and experience what Jesus called the abundant life. It's been revealed to us, but it's up to us to choose to walk in it. That's why our decisions are so important because the choices we make place us within the right guardrails and lead us towards a fuller life in Christ. And, And the choice is not just to live merely by a checklist, but at a deeper level in faith with him, especially at times like this. And when we take the words of Jesus, when we take them deep into our soul, it gives us a chance to evaluate this question. Who are we becoming in the midst of the crisis that we are experiencing? Yes, we've been in crisis, but who are you Becoming. Remember, Jesus taught that the test of our followership is not what we say or merely what we claim to be, but whether we act on his teaching, whether we put his words into practice. So if Christ is in us, then his life will flow from us as we follow him, as we choose, as we make decisions. This is what it means to build our house on a rock. And one of the things that's being revealed right now is that too many Christians have built their lives on the same foundation as the world and then we've just decorated them with Christian clutter. And man, this has led us to the ultimate crisis in which too many of us don't look much like Jesus, but we still claim to follow him. So after Jesus announces this kingdom of God is here, what happens next is that Jesus basically says, if you want to be part of my kingdom, come and follow me. But, but those that he most intimately invites to follow him initially are not the usual suspects. Here's what Mark says. He says, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And here, here's what Jesus said to them. He said, come follow me and I come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. Now, listen, if you're the parent of a school age kids right now, then this this quarantine shutdown COVID culture we're living in has hit you extraordinarily hard because you're not only trying to manage perhaps your own job beyond Zoom calls, but you are now homeschooling your kids. I've heard parents say over the last few months, teachers deserve to make a million dollars a year. For every teacher out there, we love you. I remember when my daughter, who's now a teacher, by the way, was in middle school. She had this huge project that she put off until the night before. Well, I didn't want her to flunk, so I stayed up most of the night helping her to get this project finished. And when she got back home the next day, I asked her, what grade did we get? Ironically, she again is now a fourth grade teacher. So that should give all you parents homeschooling out there hope. But listen, in the first century culture, they also had teachers and they also had students. They were called rabbis and pupils. Pupils chose rabbis. Rabbis didn't choose their pupils. People would find a rabbi that they wanted to follow, to study under. And they would approach this rabbi and they would say, may I be your disciple? may I follow you and study under you. The rabbi would sometimes say, absolutely, yes, follow me. But that didn't happen that often. Most of the time, the rabbi would say, no, you don't have what it takes to be my disciple. Go home, work within your father's business, get married, have kids, and hope that maybe your kids can become a disciple of a rabbi someday. But Jesus did what no other other rabbi did. These guys are working in the family business, which means that they have probably been passed over by other rabbis previously. They weren't good enough. But Jesus goes to Peter and Andrew and James and John and soon others, and he says, follow me. Later on, Jesus will remind the disciples, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And it's interesting because when Jesus shows up on the pages of history, everywhere he went, there were crowds. People came from all over to see him and to hear him teach. And it wasn't just a select group of people. It wasn't just the religious or the rich and famous. It was the religious and the not so religious. It was the rich and the very poor. It was the young and the old, men and women, Jews and Gentiles, healthy and sick, the politically powerful and the outcast. And you just couldn't come in contact with Jesus without being marked, without being impacted by him. Whenever someone gets a tattoo, you know, you can ask them. There seems to always be a story. There's there's a reason behind their ink. And some people, there are tattoos that they have that they regret. Names that they wish they no longer wanted inked on their skin. Perhaps you have one of those. But either way, they have been marked with something or someone that impacted them. And whenever someone came in contact with Jesus, they were forever marked. And that... Mark would then tell a story. Sometimes the story is one of rejection. That's how they're marked, that they chose to unfollow Jesus. They didn't really follow him, but sometimes told a story of how they chose to leave everything, leave everything and follow him. Because there were the crowds and then there were the called. And with that in mind, here's what Mark tells us happens next. At once... They, Simon and Andrew and the others, they left their nets and they followed him. And when he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them also. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat. They actually left their father there with the hired men and they followed Jesus. For all these guys, their nets had always defined them. That was was their career. It was their skill. It was their future. Everything revolved around their nets and their fishing business. But Jesus saw something in them that they didn't even see. Jesus told them, your identity is no longer about nets. Your identity can now be as a follower of Jesus. And at that moment, hear me, they had a definite choice they had a decision to make whether things would be different, whether things would be new. And here's the real challenge as followers of Christ that makes our choices perhaps differently from the prior ones we've made. Here's here's the challenge, is that God always calls us from something in order to be called to something. He always calls us from something in order to be called to something. And one of the main things that he always seems to call us from, and in, and in my own life, it has been so amazing and so frustrating at the same time, is that he constantly calls us, if we are following him, he calls us from a place of comfort. A place of comfort. Now, now Listen. I'm a fan of comfort. I'm a fan of it. You're a fan of it. We are all fans of it. I mean, when I think of comfort, I immediately think of the comforts of home. I mean, there's nothing like being home. I mean, anybody who travels for a living or at least used to, and you spend... Too many nights in hotels. I mean, to some people, it can seem so glamorous. But for those who do it on a regular basis, it quickly stops being amazing. I remember I was on a trip last year and I had stayed in so many different places and so many different hotels that I got up in the morning and I took a picture of my hotel room number before I left for the day so that I could remember when I came back that evening what my room number was because I was so confused. And any time when I return home to my home in Vegas, when I see those lights, the lights of Vegas mean a lot of things to a lot of people. But when I'm coming home and I see those lights from that airplane window, it's more than just relief. It's that inner feeling of rest that says I'm home. It's comfortable. And at home, I have my spots. Maybe you have them as well. I mean, Actual spots. This is the spot where my phone goes, and this is my shoe spot, and this is where I lay my backpack. You actually probably even have the spot. The spot is where you always plop yourself down. It's where you sit, place your favorite beverage, prop your feet up there. Home is where you are comfortable. But listen, comfort is not God's primary objective for your life. I'm just, I'm just going to let that just sit there for a moment. Comfort is not God's primary objective for your life, especially when he calls you. A lot of the problems in our relationship and the challenges in our relationship with Christ is that we do not understand God's primary function in our life. A lot of us actually associate Christ or have been taught to associate Christ with comfort. Maybe we've even said it like, I come to church for comfort. And sometimes people, very well-meaning, will leave church and they will say, that made me uncomfortable. In fact, people left Jesus one time because he fed them food, real food, which they liked, comfort food, and they loved it. And then he immediately turned around and said something extremely uncomfortable. He said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. That's weird. And many of them were out of there. They said, that made me totally uncomfortable. So listen, a little theology for a moment. The primary role of Jesus when he was on earth was not comfort, it was confrontation. And I realize you may not like that. You want Jesus to just speak in ways that make us feel better and warm and fuzzy. You want Jesus to be a warm, fuzzy blanket on a cold night. You can get all wrapped up and secure and that may feel better, but it's not the truth. And it's not the way we grow. And it's not the filter by which we should be living or making decisions. Jesus wants to confront the things in our lives that will keep us in captivity, keep us wandering, keep us from fully stepping into the places that that calling that God desires us to walk in. If we we misunderstand that, we will be confused when things in our life get uncertain or they get difficult. If we misunderstand this, we will be confused when things are going well and then all of a sudden God changes it up, requires more of us, or he invites us to step into some new challenges. He invites us to leave the nets that we have been clinging to. If we misunderstand this, we will always associate the presence of God in our lives with being comfortable. But we will then have our theology and our understanding of what following Jesus looks like all wrong. I think some of the challenges, we usually associate the enemy with confrontation and conflict. Any confrontation we have, any conflict we have, it's got to be the enemy. But sometimes it may be the enemy who is giving you comfort, and it is God who is putting you in conflict so that you will be faithful to your calling. I mean, frankly, maybe you've been blaming the enemy for God's work in your life. Because listen, to find your calling, to make those right decisions, you often have to forsake your comfort. We, I know, I get it. We want, typically we want both abs, but we don't want to do the planks, right? We want financial freedom without any financial discipline. But we can't have that, we can't have a divine calling and also have no discomfort, right? We can't sometimes even make the right decisions the right choices, without also understanding that that's going to cause some discomfort. And that's not how God works. That's not how we find rest in him. Over the last few years, I've kind of gotten into running, which is kind of nuts. And and runners are annoying. I know that. Like, if you're a runner out there, just accept the fact that we are annoying. You talk to runners, they're always talking about how far they run and when their last run was. I get that right? But last year, the most incredible thing happened. There's a runner by the name of Mike Wardian, who I follow on Instagram and social media. And he is an ultra, ultra, ultra runner. Like people do marathons. This guy is crazy. And a year ago, here's what Mike did. He ran seven marathons in seven days on seven different continents. And if that wasn't enough, when he got done with that, he ran three more marathons when he got home because he wanted to run 10 marathons, 26.2 miles in 10 days. Stop it. But here's the thing. When I think about runners, the, the reason runners do crazy things like Mike did and they keep adding miles is partly because they don't want to be too comfortable. They don't want it to feel too familiar because then it's not challenging anymore. They don't have something to go after. They don't have to push beyond what they're used to. So they constantly push themselves beyond what is comfortable. They stretch themselves beyond what is familiar. We can't become comfortable with friends that are good to us but are not good for us. We can't become comfortable with a faith that's not growing and do nothing to inspire it and to move it forward. Because if we do that, if we embrace the comfortable, then our comfort will be keeping us from our calling. When God calls, we need to be committed to following, to leaving whatever boats we've been sitting in, whatever nets we've been holding onto. Otherwise, we're just stuck in place. We're comfortable, but we're not called. So I want to ask you, what decisions are you making that are based on comfort and convenience right now rather than conviction? Where are you staying in the boat? Where are you holding on to the nets? Where are you considering your options? Because if we're just going to be comfortable, then be prepared to just grip tighter onto your nets while the invitation from Jesus just sits dormant. Listen, if you go back to the biblical story way back, After the Israelites were rescued from Egypt, they became very comfortable. They became comfortable with God providing a cloud to lead them during the day, fire to warm them, food that they didn't grow or provide, water that at one point came from a rock. They were were comfortable with that. But in the story, when God said to the Israelites, it's time to move, it's time to set down your net, it's time to step out of the boat, it's time to follow, it's time to change your situation, it's time for transformation to start, it's time for embracing of your calling, they dug their heels in. And guess what? They got exactly what they wanted. They stayed right where they were. God let them stay there. He let them stay stuck. And that entire generation made the decision and they missed their calling. They never, they never got home. They never entered into God's purpose, God's calling and God's plan for them. Listen, that day, those fishermen, as Jesus stood there on the shore, could have chosen the same path. They could have easily settled in for the comfortable, made the decision to lean into the familiar, it would have been no different than the last time, and they would have completely missed the mark. Here's what Parker Palmer says. This is an amazing quote i love for you to jot down or take a screenshot of and just ponder and process even after our time together is over. Parker Palmer says this. He says, some journeys are direct and some are circuitous. Some are heroic and some are fearful and muddled. But every journey honestly undertaken stands a chance of taking us to the place God calls you to. And here's that place, he describes it. The place where your deep gladness, your, your satisfaction and the world's deep hunger meet. That's the place that I want to decide to be. That's the me that I want to live out in front of God. So parents, Listen. As you parent as hard and as well as you can, just remember our role with our kids is not just to keep them comfortable. Maybe our role is to keep blowing up their comfort, keep pressing them towards their calling, whatever that is. Spouses, maybe your role is not just to always keep that spouse comfortable, but maybe we need to do the same, pushing and guiding and encouraging the friendships that you have, the people in our, in our life groups and in our community. Are we always going to just be comfortable? Are we going to make decisions, the why of how we choose and how we live our life based on God's calling, based on God's conviction, and not just the comfort that we internally want? Listen, you can't enter the kingdom of God when you're trying to be the king of your own kingdom. And God's kingdom demands some discomfort. It demands some conviction. And those are the choices that you and I are confronted with today. And I understand. Some of us are tired, exhausted. Some of us are are worn out. But the, the irony is that in our quest for comfort and familiarity, it will often leave us feeling restless because the most restful place you can be is in the middle of where God calls you to be. That is rest. Rest is not comfort. Rest is conviction calling our calling my calling your calling it's that it's that listening paying attention and making decisions in response and in obedience to exactly where god is leading and and that is where rest becomes real. And, and his rest when you follow him is like nothing you've ever experienced. It's, it's, it's rest where our hearts and our minds are confident in Christ. It's, it's rest where we are pliable to the transformation that he wants to bring in our lives. It's, it's rest where conflict and challenges are often excessive because it requires us to have faith. And today I want to challenge you, wherever you're watching from, to think about the decisions that you're making as we're still in the beginning point of this new year. Think about the story that you are currently living, but also the, the story that God may be inviting, may be bringing to you. Peter and Andrew and James and John, they had no idea what was in front of them. They had no idea when they accepted that invitation on that day on the shores of a very familiar and comfortable place how the trajectory and the transformation of their life would be forever changed. They were leaving comfort, but they were headed into a great adventure that God has prepared for them. And I want to challenge you as you watch today to think about the choices that you made that have perhaps provided comfort, but have not put you in the place that God wants you. And as I pray for you today, as we pray together, I want to invite you to take a step of faith, to ponder what that may look like in your life and in the decisions that you are making as we walk in step with where God is taking us. Let's pray together wherever you are. Father, we're just so grateful for today. We're grateful that transformation, that change is actually possible. And God, I pray that as we follow you, God, that we wouldn't be just following a set of rules and regulations. God, that we wouldn't just be checking a box, but that God, we would see following you as a daily and constant decision to move into the uncomfortable places in our lives. God, I pray that you would whisper calling into those that are watching now. God, those that may be confused, those that may be filled with uncertainty, God, that you would allow them to be open to the uncomfortable places you are beckoning them right now. God, take us on the adventure of faith. God, we ask that in your name. Amen.
0: Thanks for tuning in today. We hope you were inspired. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. Hey, I want to ask you to do two things. First thing, hit that subscribe button to stay connected to the Active Churches podcast. The second thing I want to invite you to do is go onto your social media accounts, Instagram and Facebook, and go to Active Churches. Stay connected to the community because together we can tell a better story.